0: Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Hello and welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast. We've been very excited to get this guy on. (laughs) Uh, We finally have him, Dr. Ali Matu, clinical psychologist and childhood friend of Neil. So, Dr. Ali, we'll turn it over to you, sir.
1: Hey, I'm I'm happy to be on here. My background's a clinical psychologist. I've done a lot of work with anxiety and anxiety-related problems, helping people to make changes in their life that they've been they've been struggling with for a long time. And I also do a bunch of different weird things. I got a YouTube channel called The Psych Show, a big passion of mine is to try to take everything I know and make it easier for other people to understand and and make it fun. Mm -hmm. Like mental health doesn't need to be the serious like thing. I think it needs to be a fun thing that we celebrate and it it needs to be in the hands of everyone else. And it needs to be super easy to understand and apply to your life. And so I I take every opportunity I can get to share what I know, which is why when, when you guys reached out to me, I'm like, hell yeah, let's have this conversation because I, I love I love talking about this stuff. So that's that's what I do. I'm a mental health guy who tries to make mental health more fun and easy to understand.
2: And so Ali and I, we go back to seventh grade. So we went to Way middle back. school
1: together and then we went to high school together too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, then, Neil, I think we like ran into each other. It wasn't a Taco Bell. Was it Taco Bravo? It was some burrito place. <laughs> <laughs> we ran into each other like after like college And I remember you saying, like, hey, we should have a conversation about, like, psychology meets, like, health and fitness.
2: Oh, you know, I think that was at, uh, I think it was Yasu. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So
0: oh, not a burrito. No. <laughs> a burrito
2: Mediterranean food. Yeah. Watch it's been a, it's been a while since I've been to Taco Bell, and then Taco Bravo. Taco Bravo was was definitely. Let's see. That was college for sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I Maybe. Mean, breath- Maybe that's why you. While well, well, I was thinking, oh, Ali, we need to talk about fitness. but I need we to we go do some, some taste testing at Taco Bell yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I remember that. Like and. I I was like, yeah, we should totally have that conversation. That must have been like 2006 or seven, like oh, way back.
2: Gosh, it's been a while, at least probably. No, yeah, probably after that, because I graduated in 06. So it was probably like 10 years ago or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's and been so, quite a while, man.
1: It's been a while. We've been wanting to talk about this stuff for a long time. So like here we are in uh, 2021 making it happen.
0: Nice, very nice. Well, because there's a huge tie in between the benefits of exercise, movement and and mental health overall.
1: Oh, yeah, man. You know, I always tell people that the quickest, most effective antidepressant and anti-anxiety prescription we have is getting active. I always say that. It does so many things for us. And to kind of understand why, you kind of have to go back and understand how our ancestors lived. Like, we didn't live, well, we didn't live, like, pandemic life. We also didn't live sitting down most of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, we we had long periods of, like, scavenging finding food we didn't do a ton of hunting as much as we did scavenging but we moved around a lot we'd climb trees we we'd get some apples and then we'd have long periods of rest yeah but we also had like activity during the day and getting active is what we're wired for and in so many ways our modern lives have have taken us away from all of that and from the way that we naturally used to live.
2: So do you think it matters what type of activity you're doing? Is it Does it have to be light movement? Does it have to be, you know, moderate? Or do you need this strenuous type of exercise?
1: I mean, th- I think that's a part of the million-dollar question here. And I, I think depending on, like, the type of expert you're talking to, they'll give you different answers about that. What I always try to do is find something that the person actually enjoys. So like for me, um, if I can help someone find activity that is joyful for them and feels good, they're more likely to stick with it. Mm. But part of the problem that I've run into, and it's probably something you guys know a lot more about than I do, is people don't necessarily know how to be active. Like what, what, like you say, like exercise, like where do I even start, Dennis? Where do I even start, Neil? Like a lot of folks I've worked with have said is like, well, how do I even know if it's working? How do I even know mm. if I've got the right level of activity? Like some people don't know what it feels like to be experiencing like some good intensity exercise. And then, you know, my my background's anxiety. So I've worked with a ton of people who get very scared when their heart is beating fast. And they might get afraid that, am I going to get a panic attack? Like, what is the sensation? Like, they get very scared when stuff inside is changing. So, I mean, it's a tough question to answer because getting active, folks so often don't know, how do I do that the right way? And they don't know what it's supposed to feel like. And sometimes those feelings might be scary. Or you might, find yourself like, like, I think most like traditional gyms are really horrible psychological experiences. Yeah. <laughs> like you walk in, you don't know what to do. And it's, it can be very intimidating if you're not feeling so good about your body and you're not so feeling so good about your health to also be surrounded by these people that seem to have it all together. Mm. Of course they probably don't, But like, that's a feeling a lot of people that I've worked with have had when they walk into a gym, it's so overwhelming. You, you need actually a guided experience through it because you don't even know where to start.
0: There is such a huge intimidation factor. I think, I think uh, probably, would you say the majority of people are probably intimidated by a gym? Yeah, I would say so.
1: That's been my experience. And, And that's been the experience of like people I work with. And I think like, I mean, this is, again, an area uh, you both know much more than I do, but I think traditional gyms as they're set up, like when you close your eyes and you think of a gym, you got like the cardio on one side, Mm -hmm. you got the weights on another, and maybe a class in there. I think a lot of them are set up to make you feel like you're being healthy, but it's, it's, it's a really overwhelming experience.
0: It's kind of like cliquish, just like high school and junior high was. (laughs) <laughs> right. I mean, you got the people that are always in the cardio section. They never do anything other than the bike or the treadmill. Yeah. And then you got the jocks or meatheads that are always lifting the weights. And then you got the cool kids type of thing, whatever, doing the step classes and look at me doing the, the, the Zumba and stuff. Right. Because it is, it's very cliquish.
1: Totally. I mean, it's funny you say that. Cause like, you know, Neil and I go way back to, to seventh grade. And I think, Neil, like, we had, like, m- better, more conversations about real life, like, out of high school than we ever did, like, in high school. Because you got these yeah. clicks, and you don't really, you don't really know the people outside of your clicks. You think you do, but you don't. Like, and I think that's the same thing with, like, yeah, the gym is you might think you know, like, what the people are doing in, in weights, but you really, like, don't, you know?
2: Yeah. Mm. Well, I think sometimes, you know, when people go into the traditional gyms right? you go in with your headphones, it seems like a social place. But unless you're going there with a friend or something, it isn't really like that. You know, whereas, for example, if you go to a um, like a rock climbing gym, like Mm. the one that Dennis and I go to Planet Granite, there's this community feel. And Mm. so that's just a whole different thing. Like you're going there to be active, but hanging out with your friends and it's just got a different vibe.
0: Yeah. At a rock climbing gym, people want to help you out more. Right? Yeah, Like they're yeah. quick, they're quick to go, Hey, do this, do this. Or maybe I suggest this where the gym, it seems to be much more standoffish. Yeah.
1: It's actually, yeah, it's pretty lonely to walk in. Cause yeah, uh, you're right. You, you put in your headphones and yeah, you, you go on the treadmill, I guess, like no, one's going to help you out and be like, Hey man, like, you know, here's how this works. Like that's, that doesn't happen. The best experience I, I had at a gym was more like, I love biking. Mm. I, it's my favorite thing and one of the reasons why i think i like biking so much is it just reminds me of my childhood and like i love the feeling of going fast mm-hmm. and i love the uh, the feeling of being independent like my bike was the first thing that let me kind of do whatever I wanted to. So the bike to me is associated with so much cool stuff. And I like going to spinning classes for that reason. It gives me some of those same kind of feelings, but Dennis, you're kind of right. Like it's a little bit more of a community and yeah, it gets like a little, it can get a little clickish, like especially if you're doing like some of the more trendy spinning kind of stuff. This gets back to the one of the very first studies in social psychology. It was about exercise, actually. No. And it was a very simple study, but they were looking to see how far do people run. And they were looking to see, does it make a difference if you're running solo or with a group? And what the study found is, like, people would run farther if they're running with a group. Like, you know you might say like well yeah duh that makes total sense but this was like the first study in social psychology and we we it's it's easier to be more active if you feel like you've got the support of other people and they're kind of helping you along i think we've all had that experience of like we'll do more when we're with other people and we're, when we're by ourselves it's easier to quit it's easier to lose focus it's easier to feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Like all those doubts in your head can kind of get in the way from making any of the kind of changes you want to make.
0: We've been seeing more articles from the psychology side touting the benefits of just getting outside and going for a walk.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's a
0: great starting point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great lesson just for 2020 and 2021. There's a couple of things that happen just from taking a walk. So one thing we know is this idea of biophilia. Um, It kind of means like love of the natural world. Mm -hmm. Like for some reason, we just do better when we're outside. Mm -hmm. So two people, one person has had a surgery surgery. Uh, Both people have had surgeries, but one person is recovering in a hospital which with a window to the outside world, one person is not. The person with the window recovers faster. Like same two people, one person has a painting of nature and the other person has a painting of a city. The person with a painting of nature recovers faster. Like for whatever reason, we do better when we're connected to the outdoors. And I think this gets back to our the history of our species. Like we we largely lived outside. We largely lived more connected to nature. So that's one thing that a walk will do for you. The other thing it does is it makes it easier for you to get out of your head. Like I always tell people you can't outthink your way through worries. Like you, you can't think your way out of all the stuff that's in your head. You have to get outside. You have to talk to other people. You have to get all that stuff that's going on in here. You have to kind of get it outside of you and you need to get connected to all the stuff that's outside of you too. That's, that's kind of what we get when we get, go on a walk. What physical exercise can do and what, what getting your body active can do. Uh, it is uh, is related to that. Like I always tell, I, I told you before about like, you know, the best antidepressant, best anti-anxiety is is physical activity. But the other thing I tell people is and this comes from a treatment called dialectical behavior therapy. When we're dealing with really intense emotions, when you're dealing with something that like maybe like strong anger or really intense anxiety or like strong jealousy, like really powerful emotions that don't feel too good to you. The best way to change that is to change your body chemistry. Get your body cold, get your body hot, get your body moving, get your heart pumping, get your breath moving faster. Like whatever you can do to get your body chemistry changed in a quick way, it's going to get you out of out of those intense emotions. For a lot of us, the easiest way to do that is is some physical activity. Like whether it's 10 jumping jack, hopping on your bike, going for a run, maybe a cold shower, maybe a hot shower, like changing your body chemistry is the fastest way to change your emotions. So yeah, that's a very long answer to your short question <laughs> about going for a walk, but that movement and connection with the outdoors it's tremendously healthy.
2: Yeah, I know. Laylee and I, you know, we would always take these trips to, you know, Yosemite, or or we'd always try to find somewhere to go to to hike and rock climb. And during those weekends or weeks, we would do it. You just your head just kind of
1: clears out. Mm-hmm. Totally. Oh, the sounds, mm-hmm. the sights, this. You know, it's also just like a. It's a such a powerful sensory experience. Everything's activated: smell, sight taste touch all of it you feel all of those things you know the more you're you're going on a hike the more dry your mouth becomes you notice that you notice the sound of birds you notice the changing smells it's that's what we're built for we're mm. built for all of those things we're not built for this like you know i'm in this stupid office that i'm in all day long and like i've got i got this jar of lavender i don't know if you guys see it in the back mm. there yep. but like when i'm so done and feeling so dull in all of here. I opened up that jar just so it gives me a little bit of life and a little bit of relief. But that's the kind of stuff we're wired for. You know, it's funny about that, Neil. My wife, who we also, like, Lily and uh, and you and I and my wife, Nuann, we all went to the same high school together. So, like, all of us go back uh, <laughs> yep. a long way. But my wife and I used to love, we used to live in New York before we moved back to California about a year and a half ago. We used to love going on long walks and just getting lost in those walks. And we weren't really nature people. Like we weren't like, let's go on a big hike. We were like, let's go on a walk kind of people. But all of that changed when we moved back to California and the pandemic hit. Because the only safe places for us were We're like outdoor places. So we could go there with our daughter. We could go on these like hikes and kind of get lost in nature. And it felt very safe with the pandemic. Like you can socially distance easily. There's not a lot of people outside. It's open air, open ventilation. And it's made me fall in love with nature, man. It's like the thing I look forward to the most in the week is like, when am I going to get out of my home? When am I going to like what trail am I going to hit? like how can i just get get centered get get out of all of this and get back and plugged in with the world
0: well, how do you handle people that are like ah, i hate nature it's just <laughs> a waste of time is that more something that they just we actually physically just need to get that person out there first mm. to remove the mental inhibitions or roadblocks yeah
1: yeah that's that's a great question dennis and what what I think about there is, uh, so if I was working with that person, I would say, yeah, so first off, I'm going to, like, I'm going to validate that, right? Because, okay. like, like that per- there's good reasons why that person probably feels that way, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Their, their emotion is real, mm-hmm. regardless of whatever w- w- reason they might be feeling it. They're, they're feeling it. That's a real mm-hmm. emotion. So, like, yeah, okay, I get it. This is not something that you usually enjoy. Like, what are you worried might happen? Um, what, when you think about the outdoors, what comes to mind? So Mm. I want to get a better sense of like, all right, what's driving that? Is it, they don't know where to go. Is it, they get a lot of bug bites and they like mosquitoes love them. Cause Mm. some people have this body chemistry that, that appeals to mosquitoes more than other people. Right. So is it the bugs is it not knowing where to go? Is it that like your stamina level isn't good for like a big incline right now? Mm-hmm. Like, is it is it your knowledge, your comfort? And then also like, what kind of outdoor experiences do you like and you don't like? Like not everyone is a, I wanna go hit a trail, get lost in nature thing. Mm-hmm. Cause that might be scary. Mm-hmm. Like. Or maybe that person has experienced trauma and like they feel very unsafe being in places where they might not have cell phone reception or stuff like that. Like there are so many reasons that can keep people from doing outdoor activities. So I think if you kind of drill down and you pick up like, all right, what are some of the some what are some of the mental blocks there? Then you can be like, okay, well. So you might not be let's go in the mountains kind of person but maybe you like animals. So maybe let's go some place where there's some ducks and swans. Like we live here in the bay area, there's so many cool trails along the bay where you can see like incredible birds that it's it's just like a if you're a bird watcher like There's some amazing places you can go to, and it's not that far away. Like, the East Bay has, like, some really cool trails there, you know? So, I think it's about figuring out what are the blocks and then figuring out what someone likes. Like, my—one of my favorite questions to ask someone when the first time I'm meeting them is, like, what do you do for fun? Like, when— I I do a lot of work with teenagers and young adults. So oftentimes their parents are forcing them in to work Mm. with me. Uh, They don't necessarily want to work with me. So I'll ask them stuff like, so what do you do when your parents aren't around? Like, what do you like to do for fun? What do you always get in trouble for doing too much of? Like, is it video games? Is it basketball? Is it like, what kind of stuff do you like to read? Like, I want to really know what this person loves. And then I want to figure out, all right, can I map that on? to the the changes they want to make. Like if it's about being more healthy, can I map on their love of zombies and get them doing zombie run, you know, mm-hmm. where they're like playing this game and like simulating a run from it? Or if they're really into different movies, can I get them like walking in some place that was like featured in a movie that they really like or something that inspired that? You know, like or like just get them listening to podcasts when they're out being getting active i think there's so much benefit to just weaving in the things that people love to the changes they kind of want to make and that that gets back to the first for one of the first things i said is like my goal is always i got to map on like enjoyment to all Mm -hmm. of these Mm -hmm. things otherwise it's uphill battle you know
0: So it's our job as coaches to, number one, ask questions, but number two, actually listen to the answers as opposed to just pretending like we're just listening to (laughs) it. Because I think a lot of, I think a lot of trainers, I see it where they're hearing information, but they're not absorbing that information.
1: Totally, totally. You know, I think a lot of coaches and trainers, you're meeting people at really interesting points in their life. Like they, they're frustrated with Mm -hmm. the way things have been going. They want more help. They know they need more help and they know they can't necessarily do it on their own, or they want to get to the next level and they know that they can't do that on their own. And so they're at this critical point in their life. And I think if you understand why they're at that point, like why are they frustrated? What change do they want to make? That's going to get you the majority of the way there, and if you can just understand a little bit more about what drives this person, what are the things they love, what are the things they hate, in addition to like understanding their their health, like where are they, like what do they need to do to to get to that next level. I think that's just gold. Like you got it. If you if you really understand why this person is coming to you, what drives them, what do they love, what do they dislike? That's that's it. That's all you need
2: you know, I think that's a, that's a really good point. And I think successful coaches are really effective communicators and, you know, really getting into the why for, you know, all their clients, their athletes. Um, because once you build that, that trust is when you can get someone to do something.
1: Yeah. There's a a really cool technique that I'm not sure how much is, has become part of the, the trainer community, but it's, It's a big part of everything I do, and it's this idea of motivational interviewing. So this is actually a technique that was developed to help people stop smoking. And Mm. it was something that was woven into a lot of what physicians do when they meet with people. And the whole idea was telling people to stop smoking is, like, not that helpful, you know, because, like...
2: (laughs) It's so true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If it was, look, if... If getting people to change was that easy, none of us would have a job. Right. Right. Like, like people come to us for a reason because this stuff is hard. uh, Whether you're talking about your mental health or your physical health and like, Spoilers. We're talking about the same thing. Mental health is physical health, but like it's it's you need a lot more than telling people to not do that, right? The Dr. Phil approach, like you have you just tried just not doing that. It doesn't, that doesn't work, right?
2: <laughs>
1: so so you need something else. So motivational interviewing is this idea of making it easy for people to talk about change. And what's gotten in the way of change? So you ask a lot of questions, like let's say it's smoking, for example. Like, uh, what does smoking do for you? What do you what do you like about it? Do you remember why you started? And do you remember um, what's what's kept it going? And and the trick of that is not to ask like why do you smoke? Yeah, like, what's wrong with you? But it's just like, hey, what do you like about it? Like. You know, we keep doing things because they do something for us. Mm-hmm. And if you ask a smoker that question, they'll probably say something like, "You yeah, know, I just kind of like fell into it. Like maybe like a cousin was doing it or my friend was doing it. But I really like, I just like the feeling. And I, I like doing it with other people. I like having a smoke break. I like I like some of the focus I get. I like that it makes me less hungry, you know? And so then you get, oh, okay, there's a social part. You like mm-hmm. that connection. Oh, okay, it, it like feels good. You also like that, you, in some ways, you kind of feel like it's better for your health because you're eating less, you know? So like now- you're understanding what's keeping this thing moving forward, right? And then you also ask people, like, what do you like less about it? Not like, what are the problems? But like, what do you like less about smoking? And then folks might say, I hate how much money I'm spending. Mm -hmm. I hate that I walk a little bit. I walk upstairs and it's hard for me to breathe. I had an uncle who died of lung cancer. I don't want to do that. Like, I I don't want that to happen to me. So now you go, oh, okay. The financial part of it, it's Mm -hmm. getting in the way. This person doesn't like how they feel like old, like way older than their years when they're going upstairs. So now you got the reasons why they're doing it. You got the reasons for why they want to change. And then you can ask someone something like, all right, zero to 10. How much are you ready to to make a change about this? And someone might say like hey I'm, I'm I'm a five right now." and you can say stuff like, "All right, I hear it. you're really struggling. You want to make changes, and at the same time, like change is hard. Where were you a month ago, Zero to ten? Oh, I was I was like a two. Whoa, So you jumped from a two to a five. Like, what happened there? you know, Mm -hmm. or they might say, like, I was a 10 a month ago. I really wanted to make change, but now I'm a five. Oh, whoa. That big change there. What happened? Mm -hmm. So motivational interviewing is it's all about getting people ready to make changes by making it easy to talk about change, make it easy to, to understand what's keeping this thing going, make it easy to understand what's getting in the way of making changes and then helping the person to be open about that. Like, if you're working with someone and they're struggling to do all the things that you're assigning them, talk to them about it in the same way. Like, what do you like about the situation? What do you like less about the situation? Like, let's let's like understand it. Let's put all of our exercises aside and let's just understand what's going on right now. It doesn't take that much time of doing that. Mm-hmm. But what you communicate is like, I get it. It's only human that you're, you're in this situation you're at. And now that we know what's keeping it going, what's getting in the way, let's make a plan to address those things, you know? It's, yeah, Dennis, it's about like actually like asking those questions and actually listening. A little bit of listening goes a long way to making a person ready to take the next step.
0: I think too many of us just go why can't you just do this? And so we we forget that there is there are a lot of hurdles. As a former smoker, for me it was I just mentally said I'm done. Yeah. Like for me, cold turkey was not a problem. Yeah. Uh, same when I st- wanted to stop gambling. Like I was just all like, "This is stupid," and so I just quit. <laughs> I did. I one day I was just all like, "Okay, this has been a waste of my time." So I literally just was like, eh, "I'm am done." But that's very unique. That I mean, most people have to have that differential to figure out, okay, where do I, why do I want to stop this or how do I go about doing that? But I think too many of us, especially in the physical world, when we talk about helping people get stronger moving better, I think a lot of us just have that inability to go, well, why can't you just do this?
1: Right, right. Right? Well, one of the things that you just did there in your own journey is you made a big identity shift. Mm -hmm. So there's really good research that shows if you change your identity, you're much more likely to change your behavior. So if one day you wake up and you're like, you know what, I'm not a smoker anymore. I am now someone who does not smoke. Like, you're way more likely to go through with that than someone who says, I'm trying to quit. It's a big shift because well, now it's a part of your identity. And then what we do when we make identity shifts is we start to connect with people who've got the same identity. You know, like if I'm a therapist, there's a certain thing that that means. And I connect with other therapists to do that. And we start to develop the same values and we support each other. It's the same thing with health changes. You know, if you're someone who rides our bike, you get connected with that community, you start to wear that same gear, you start to run into each other, you nod to each other when you see each other, you support each other. It is way easier to to make these changes if you if it's identity driven. It's a lot harder if you're like, "Oh, well, I'm just kind of trying to do this." And this gets back to the gym thing. Like if you get connected to like you go to a rock climbing gym, like that's a big part of people's identities. Like it's a big part of your routine. There's language you use. There's a culture associated with it. Sounds like with the gym you guys go to, which also sounds like a lot of rock climbing gyms are like this, like it is kind of a welcoming place. Mm-hmm. Like all of that is identity driven change, way easier to make changes when, when it's about your identity.
0: Changing the environment also has to take place, right? Because that is that kind of like that, I guess for a better lack of term, we used to call it the trailer park complex. How generations, <laughs> how generations how generations get stuck in the same trailer park.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't
0: change your physical surroundings.
1: Yeah. Man, well, you're talking my language, man. All right. My background as a therapist is I'm I'm very much a, a behavioralist. And what that means is uh, changing people's behavior is the easiest way to often do that is changing the environment. Mm-hmm. Um like uh, food has always been a struggle of mine. And I kind of grew up in a home where if I was upset, my mom just gave me snacks, you know? Mm. So I learned, I learned I can, if I'm feeling bad, just eat some stuff, man, have some Snickers, you know, like have some have some chocolate. It's gonna chill you out. You're gonna feel good. My my weapon of choice was Sour Patch Kids and any gummy related <laughs> thing. Man, puts me in a good place.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm in a great place. You know, and I would I, I could easily down bags of that stuff. Mm. You know, so m- my journey has been trying to find a healthy way to do that. And the healthiest way I have found to deal with that kind of stuff is I control what comes in my home and then I control where it goes. Mm. You know, I'm not buying like Costco-sized giant vats of gummies. Mm-hmm. If I do that, it's gonna be gone. I'm gonna eat them all. Yeah. You know, Like I usually don't even bring that stuff into my home. Like, look, you wanna stop drinking? easiest to just not have the drinks in your home, Mm -hmm. right? I'm a big fan of make it easy to resist the things you wanna resist and make it easy to do the things that you want. And a lot of times that means changing your environment, changing how it's set up. Like right now, I'm talking to you guys standing, because I spent so much of my day sitting that I learned it's like giving me a lot of back problems. And when I kind of changed my setup, so I do like, I, I try to only do meetings standing. It's been so good for my posture, so good for my back. You know, I'm a big believer that we can all do little things in our environment to make healthier choices. And do I, do I still eat Sour Patch Kids? Yeah, man. When I go to movies, which hasn't happened in a year and a (laughs) half, boom, I'm getting that box and and I feel guilt-free about it. Cause I'm like, this is the place where I I do Sour Patch Kids, you know? But I don't bring them into my home because I don't trust myself. We can all do very little things in our home, in our environment. Like, you know, people talk about like, like take the stairs instead of the elevator. Yeah, man, take the stairs instead of the elevator. Like over time, those small little changes do make a difference. They make a big difference in your health, you know?
0: It's kind of a little side point on the taking the stairs. David Lieberman in that book Exercised, they said when they studied a fitness convention, there was uh. one fitness convention they studied, and he they sat and watched how many people took the elevator versus the stairs. And it was like something like under like six or seven percent of the attendees at a fitness convention. Took the stairs versus right, the elevator. Right oh, wow. It was so. It was such a low percentage. <laughs>
2: he's like, yeah, you know, I like mean, that, it's their vacation. Yeah, you know? it's like, hey, work <laughs> It's
1: their vacation. I work out all the time. That can be true too. It's their Come vacation. Right. There you go. There, there you go. You. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think a lot of that is we don't really think about structuring our environment to meet our goals. You know, yes. Like, the more uh, like you take a grocery store for example all the items that are at the end of the aisles are much more likely to be bought and all the items that are at eye level are much more likely to be bought that's done intentionally to manipulate you into buying the thing that the store wants you to buy mm-hmm. like maybe they have too much inventory on it or maybe they make more money off of these items than the other ones so like a lot of like the cereal aisle is a good one where the more expensive stuff is usually right at your eye level and the cheaper Cheaper stuff is either way at the bottom or way at the top. That's that's one way in which these stores are manipulating us to want to buy certain things. But like that same thing can be used for positive things as well. Like Mm -hmm. we can change our environment to make it easier for us to make healthy decisions, like to drink more water or to stand more or take the stairs. But usually those are second thoughts, like, or, or afterthoughts. Usually stairs are, are much harder to take than an elevator. Oh yeah. You know, elevators usually front and center and stair you're like, where? I used to work in a building in New York where if you took the stairs, you get locked out and you got to oh. climb all the way to the bottom, you know, to get out, oh. like if, for whatever reason, They set it up that way so you could take the stairs as a fire escape, but you couldn't take the stairs just to go up and down. So I always had to go down one level to to pick up some things. And it made me so angry that I had to take the elevator to go down one level. (laughs) You know, like, what the hell?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, because it's like when I want to quit gambling, I just I cut everything. I cut out the yeah. environments. Yeah, I yeah. removed myself from that possibility. My bookie's phone number, I deleted it. I just yeah. never called again. You know, you avoid the casinos and, and I go back. I can easily walk into a casino and never do anything because I've been so removed from that environment for so long that it doesn't affect me anymore right
1: totally but totally. Uh,
0: and I and i but i understand the struggle mentally that a lot of other people have and i don't know I guess some people would say well mentally you're a lot stronger or whatever I, maybe it is I don't know but i under i have empathy towards those people that do struggle and fight that but for me it's like when i do talk to them I'm like you've got to remove yourself physically sometimes a lot of times i should say from ever being around that environment.
1: 100% with you. You know, our our brain is an association machine. It's, It's really good at making predictions. And this started out as like a safety technique. Like, if there was a lion hiding behind this bush... And like someone in your tribe got taken down by this lion. Well, now you avoid that bush at all costs. Mm-hmm. You know, our brain is very good at forming these connections and it does that with threats like predators and lions and, and all that kind of stuff. But it also does this with like casinos. Mm-hmm. Like it knows when you're in that environment that it, it gets, it gets you all wired for all the kind of stuff that, that you're going to be doing there. And casinos are actually like, they're brilliantly designed. Oh, yes. They people know what there's no windows. Mm-hmm. There's no clocks. Yep. It always kind of feels like 5 PM. You know, it's like, um, it's completely designed and it's easy to get lost in a casino mm-hmm. to like get from one end to another. You got to walk through all the machines, all the tables. You know, they know exactly what they're, what they're doing. I want folks to take that same level of design and apply it to their lives for good purposes. I'm all about locking in the healthy choices when it's easy to do that. Like one thing I've learned about myself, I need to have a meal before I go grocery shopping. If I don't, like, if I'm grocery shopping while hungry. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's bad. Oh, it's yeah. Oh, I brought back all the Oreos. I'm bringing (laughs) this back. You know, and then I'm breaking all my rules of, like, I don't want this stuff in the home, you know? Mm. So, you kind of have to learn, like, all right, what's going to set you up? for healthy decisions when it's easy to make that decision it's very hard for me to avoid buying the oreos when i'm at the grocery store and i'm hungry super easy for me to do it if i've had a good meal and like i see those oreos and i'm like oh no i'm so full man like i don't want to like i'm not even going there you know so locking the choices when it's easy to lock it in that is is that's about being smarter, not stronger. Like I think the real strength comes in sitting down and planning this out before you're even in that trouble. And like like deleting the number of your bookie, you yeah. know, That takes courage. and that's the real strength we're talking about. It's about making this hard decision. You know it's hard you know, you don't want to delete that number. And at the same time, you know, that the way to get to your goals means you got to delete this guy's number. Mm -hmm. And so you delete it and now you're set up for success, you know, lock in those healthy choices when it's easier to, it's not about deleting your bookies number when you're still craving it, right, right before the Super Bowl And -hmm. you want to place a bet in Mm -hmm. that's, that's not the time it's too late then Mm -hmm. it's too hard. You know, you got to do it earlier.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that I heard a long time ago and I really have loved it is if something or someone is bringing down your quality of life, then they have to be that something or someone should be removed. And that's just in your best interest. So, I heard that a long time ago and it was I think that was one of the motivating factors or the one thing that I looked at perspective-wise That helped me. That's always kind of helped me in that regard of, okay, this isn't good. All right. Time to push it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. It can bring up guilt. It can make you feel like you're being a bad friend or bad family member. But, you know, the thing I've learned about my field is if I don't put myself first, I can't help anyone else, Mm, you know? And sometimes putting myself first means I got to make some of those tough decisions and say no to folks because I'm just too burnt out, I'm too tired, or you know what, you're, you're kind of a, more of a toxic influence in my life, you know?
0: What about, like, so, you know, we train husbands and wives, spouses or whatever, and, but what happens in, let's say, that setting where one person wants to make that change and the other person doesn't? I mean, that's oh, man. right. I mean, that's
1: crazy, that's hard. right? Well, how do you, how do you, I'm actually really curious. Um, cause you just described a big challenge in my work mm-hmm. is like, you know, we often think about it as being like an individual thing, but like a lot of times making changes, it's, it's a relational thing. Mm-hmm. Cause like, yeah. Okay. Look, I might suck at portion control but my wife does not. Nuann is amazing. She'll buy chips, and she'll have like three, and then she's done. She doesn't even Whoa. put them that's in amazing. a bowl. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I know. <laughs> I'm super about, ge-
2: You talk about mental strength. Straight, that's, yeah.
1: It's what she's got. Like, she that's, has never struggled with the way I've struggled with food. She can do that. But like, but okay. Ali's strategy is don't have that stuff at home. Nuan's strategy is it's fine to have it at home. It's not like I'm ever gonna like do too much. So like, how do you deal with the couple stuff? So I'm actually before I give you my answer, I'm actually curious about how both of you approach that when you're training when you're training a couple. Like, how do you do it? Because they're both in such different places.
2: Well, so I have a long time client. I've been training for about. 10 years now and when she first came to me she was probably 60 pounds overweight and she trained by herself and she's lost all that and she's really strong now really capable and what happened there was it motivated her the rest of her family to come in so her husband trains with her now and her kids come in and train so i've seen wow. that you know that side of it where it just motivated the whole family uh, to be healthy together so that was that's one experience i've had there that's amazing
0: yeah, I would tend to say the same thing because, I mean, for me, it's more, I'm just more movement-focused coach. But I think when we talk about overall health, before we even get into the nutrition aspect, because that really is, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion, the hardest part psychologically especially yeah we got to get people moving first and feeling better about just the fact that they can move be comfortable moving so i think and it's it's breaking the stereotypes of what most people think working out or training is yeah so i know the feedback i typically get from people that i've worked with is, well you do things that i that i normally don't see at a gym and it's it's more enjoyable and it's like they buy in so uh, it's removing the intimidation getting them to understand the training what typically we're thinking is maybe not what it really should be type of thing right just getting them more confidence And then I think that rubs off on the people around them because they see that change in confidence. It's tangible, right? And so I think that's what, and when we developed stick mobility, we saw, I saw a huge increase in spouses that would never come to the gym. All of a sudden they're like, oh, well, I want to do that. (laughs) So it was kind of interesting to see the impact just because it was novel. It was different.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I
2: I think there's that thing about being more capable, right? Getting more confidence. And it just, it just rubs off your mood changes.
1: Yeah, um, that's, that's really wonderful to hear that, how much it's kind of like positively spread through families. So the challenge on my end is like, let's say I'm trying to help someone overcome social anxiety and I might be asking them to do certain things like, let's say they're like a 25 year old young adult, but maybe I'm asking them to do something, but then their parent their mom and dad kind of swoop in and do that thing for them because mm-hmm. that's the way they've been doing it like their whole lives and they don't necessarily have the confidence that the kid can do it on their own. So what I often end up doing is bringing all the people in the room, like whoever's involved, mom or dad or um, you know, a sibling, whoever might be involved and get people all on the same page about what the goal is and like really charging it with like values. So the goal isn't just like, we want Sam to be less socially anxious. The goal might be like, we want Sam to be feeling good about himself and and becoming independent. And that's going to be good for the whole family. Mm-hmm. But like Sam's working on his own stuff. And mom, dad, you got to be working on your own stuff too. And here's how you can help so we get everyone on the same page of like, what's the goal here? And then like, what does each person need to do? So we're all kind of headed in the same direction, you know, because it's, it's kind of like you can't get one person working on their nutrition when the whole family is eating, like, like they can't be eating separate meals.
2: Yeah. yeah, You
1: know, so it's the kind of same thing. It's like one person can't be working on overcoming the anxiety when the rest of the family is like maintaining it. You got to get people on the same page. But usually, I mean, like Neil, what you said, seeing a little bit change can lead to other people wanting to come on board. In my experience, like as people start to become a bit more independent and they get start to get better at managing whatever emotions they struggle with, people notice that. Mm-hmm. People in the family notice that, partners notice that, and they like that feeling. They like seeing the other person feeling better about themselves.
0: As far as family or trying to influence other people, Should it be a just a more subtle push? Because I mean, if you're too obtuse about it and just too just in your face, you'd probably alienate them more than kind of bringing them in gradually or just letting them observe from a distance type thing, right?
1: I I mean that stuff is blown up in my face all the time. Like I've gone I've gone too far, too intense, too fast. I've also like held back too much. Mm. And what I've learned is, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche to say this, but I've learned it's it's a bit of a dance. You're not going to know what's the right amount until you try. But you got to get up in there and you got to try dancing. You know, Mm. you got to get, I mean, uh, no pun intended, but you got to get moving. You Mm. can't just like be sitting on the sidelines. Every family is different. And I'm always surprised at, and and every couple is different. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm always, people always surprise me. Sometimes people are describing like their, their girlfriend, you know, and I have this image in my mind of what the person's like and they show up in the room and they're like, so completely different. Like I'm always, I'm always wrong about my expectations. But the thing I've learned is like, yeah, it's a dance and, and you can always repair these things. You know, like you can go with what your gut is telling you. And if you if you did too much or if you did too little, it's okay. You can repair that relationship like you can retool it. Well, I think one of the
0: things that from the mental health aspect, especially over the last year, is unfortunately seeing the huge increase. I mean, I'm assuming your business has really picked up dealing with people. With anxiety, right? Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's happening around the country right now is a lot of therapists are beyond full. And most therapists were, like, full before the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And now you have more people who are struggling. And the other thing that's happening, too, is a lot of mental health folks are struggling with the exact same things as, as their patients are, you know? And they're feeling burnt out, overwhelmed. I mean, I've got a lot of friends who are they're back-to-back with patients all day in their home, on their screens, and maybe they've got kids who aren't in school and they're running around too. Like, it, it's it's a bit of a mess out there. So on the one hand, I love that we've got more telehealth kind of stuff. Like, you can see your therapist, you can see your physician, you can see a nurse practitioner, you can see your social worker, you can, you can see people all through video. Like, that is amazing now. And at the same time, like... People are overwhelmed on all sides of this. So it's a a tough time for mental health. And while there's some glimmers of hope here with the pandemic and the vaccines, I think we're going to be dealing with some of the mental health consequences of this for like a long time. Like I was joking with you guys before we started recording about how my wife and I were, were like both working from home, right? She's in the next room. But like our marriage has taken ups and downs because... We're always around each other, but we're also always working and we don't get breaks from each other. And we also don't get breaks from parenting. Like, like it's every relationship is fully taxed right now. Like we're all holding a lot. And I think it's going to take some time for us to to recover from all of this. Once it's, once the pandemic is like actually over.
2: Say So are you guys scheduling time to, to get outside now and, you know, go on these hikes and, and do that at least once or twice a week or as much as you oh, can? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. The weekends and like, thank goodness we live in California right now where we can easily do this on the weekends, but that's what we look forward to the most. Like we all are so much better when we have that outdoor activity on the weekends. Um, I love it, I look forward to it. We had it this weekend. This weekend were two days where, like yesterday was my 11 year old nephew just had a birthday. And we had like a big Nerf gun battle in a park. And so like, that was a ton of fun because we're all moving around and stuff. But the day before we went out to Santa Cruz and we're outside, it was a beautiful day. It wasn't too cold, wasn't too warm. It was just perfect. That helps a lot. Like that's become kind of our physical health routine and mental health routine. Like the weekends, getting out as much as we can. And you guys, this is why like the most difficult month for me and as a Northern Californian was the month where we were really experiencing the wildfires like oh, that. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, that was
2: really hard for me too.
1: Mm-hmm. It robbed us of like the one thing we had, mm-hmm. which was like being able to be outside. Mm-hmm. It's not like we could go to indoor places cause you got a pandemic. We couldn't go to outdoor places cause you got wildfires. It was so bad for my mental health and my physical health. Like both of, just like really plummeted during that period, man. That was, that was really hard. Well, I think
0: that's a question that some people, some critics have had is we're telling people stay at home, do this, do this because of a virus physically impacting you. But then did we take enough of a, a big picture look as far as how this is going to long-term affect just millions and millions and millions of people I know we saw what they said. The world health organization says that mentally there's about a thousand, a million suicides a year. And that was before this whole pandemic. So yeah. with unemployment and all the, in deaths yep. and all these other things, you know, where do we kind of walk that line? So to speak.
1: Yeah. These are the big questions. I, I, Like, especially with the United States, so much of our pandemic response was so disorganized, Mm -hmm. like state by state, sometimes county by county. From a mental health criticism and from a behavioral psychology criticism, we should have been telling people what they can do socially, you know, like like going outside and being a little socially distant from each other and having like an outside picnic Mm -hmm. is great like mm-hmm. we should have been doing that like the the risks of coronavirus is is, is substantially reduced when you're outside mm-hmm. but then when you're outside and you're distant especially like if it's windy at all like it's a pretty safe thing to do yeah. so we should have been telling people how to stay connected in a safe way and we didn't really do that so that's one thing and to your other point, Dennis, like people need to feel like their their basic safety is taken care of. So like unemployment support, healthcare support, like those things need to be there. So like you aren't like one infection away from poverty mm-hmm. so that you aren't like, you know, so you lost your job in the pandemic. There's nothing else you can do. So you're not going to get invicted right? Mm-hmm. Like some of these basic things need to really be taken care of to ward off the worst mental health impacts of all of this. Like if people's basic needs are, are supported and they can find ways to connect with other people, that does a long that does a lot to to uh, reduce some of the worst impacts of all of this.
0: Yeah, because I mean I've talked to Neil several times about, you know, your I'll put on Sirius XM and the CDC is running mental health commercials. And it's kind of ironic because I'm like, <laughs> you're kinda the pandemic is stemmed is is created this issue, so now you're getting hit from both sides. So it's kind of you know, you kind of scratch your head sometimes like, eh, is there a better way of, of handling this or should there have been a better way of handling it, so to speak?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I hope we're able to um really learn our lessons from all of this so we're we're better prepared for whatever comes next. I mean, we've all lost a way of life. Some of us have lost people, but we've all lost a way of life. We ha- we all have a lot to grieve here and we've learned a lot from this process. If we can just really learn all the right lessons from this, I think we're going to be better prepared for whatever the next crisis is that's going to hit us or, you know, hopefully not, but like the next pandemic, right? Like the countries that learned the best from SARS back in uh, a lot of the Asian countries that are most impacted by SARS mm. were best positioned to deal mm. with this. Like you look at how Taiwan has handled the pandemic very different way. Like like in Korea, like the technology they had for contact tracing and, and really being able to like early identify and limit exposure so it never reaches the massive scale it has in America. Like we had no chance in America. We were just not set up at all to deal with this in any way. So I, I hope we can learn some of those lessons. And we got we got a lot of rebuilding to do when this yeah. is all done.
0: Well, I know that one of the things that I know we've been doing more of just to kind of boost people's levels up especially when they're training is just adding more spontaneity and kind of more fun in our training as far as adding games just to get people feeling like kind of like a kid again taking them back to their <laughs> formative years, right?
1: You know, that's that's something we all need a lot of right now. Mm-hmm. So, we've lost a lot of the novelty of just regular life. Like you go to a coffee shop, um, you go to a Greek place and you run into your old friend (laughs) from from middle school and high school, right? Like I never predicted that I would run into Neil that day and it happened and it was kind of like the highlight of my day, right? A totally unpredicted surprise. And we don't really have much of that. So much of our life is scheduled, is these like Zoom meetings or even if we go out, to, like, Target or something to pick up some supplies. We're wearing masks. It's really hard. Like, I have a hard time recognizing people in masks. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's like half their face is, is sort of is sort of gone there. This is part of the reason why I think we're, we're all in this, like, temporal fog where it feels like it's been a long time, but it also, like, I can't tell you what I did last summer. Like, it all just, like, feels like one weird blur. So anything we can do to get a little bit more novelty in the day a little bit more surprise, a little bit more fun this is gonna be really helpful for us right now. It's something we need a lot of like one of my favorite things that I've done in the pandemic as a way of coping is I bought a Nintendo switch just to play with with one of my nephews and I I love Mario Kart I've always loved Mario Kart oh, but I man. suck at smash brothers always have so like my mission in life right now is to get good enough to beat the crap out of my nephew it's smash brothers Is this
2: is the nephew that just turned 11
1: yes okay say what say what (laughs) good luck man uh-oh. I'm I'm trying, man, and it's you know for the record, I um, I took him down and nerf real hard. I had to like I had to like <laughs> we started and I just let loose at him, and uh, I figured out he's might be good at Smash Brothers, but he's not so so good with the, with the nerf. But yeah, it's like it, it's a new thing. I haven't done it before. I got a lot to learn. It's something that takes my mind off of the wackiness of the world. So like finding novelty and surprise and and feeling like a kid again, Dennis, we all need that. We need a lot of that right now.
2: Yeah, and there's, you know, that approach you're talking about as far as, you know, working on things you can do. I think that's something that Dennis and I focus on a lot is instead of, you know, telling our clients, hey, you can't do that, you can't do that. Let's give them drills they can do successfully yeah. right away where they they get this positive feedback and impact and then keep progressing them from there
1: oh yeah i'm all about the two minute rule of behavior change so make whatever change you need small enough so you can do it in two minutes mm-hmm. so in another way of thinking about it is like get people quick wins mm-hmm. something that they can like super easily feel good about and start moving in the right direction and you can build on it from there. So like maybe if one of your goals is like, you want to go for that, run, what's a two minute version of it? Well, the two minute version of it, it might be like, get your workout clothes ready and just like have them in the right spot. So you see it, it reminds you, you know, there's a great book. If anyone wants to, like everything I've talked about can be summed up in this great book called Atomic Habits. James Clear wrote this book and it's, he's not a psychologist. He's not a mental health guy, but he's like a a habit change nerd, and that book summarizes like everything about behavioral psychology really easily. It's a cool book. I, I super recommend that if anyone wants to learn more about this kind of stuff.
0: Awesome I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Well, Doc, thanks for joining us, man. It was fantastic. And uh, oh,
1: man, it was uh, speaking of like fun surprises in the day. This was uh, this hour's been like a ton of fun. I so um, so love hanging out with you guys. Yeah, um, we need to have, have, have you back, back on again. Yeah,
0: we're sure. gonna have you back on. We, yeah, because anytime Neil and I talked about having you on as a regular. Just uh, got to buy in here before
1: yeah anything
0: yeah. else. And, and it's all
2: connected. The, the yeah the physical and mental thing they go hand in hand yeah. together.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. They aren't separate different. things. Things, they're, they're interconnected. You can't have one without the other.
0: Yeah, because we hear all the time, you know, you'll ask a client to do something and they say, well, I can't do that. And I always tell them, well, you're you're right because you already told yourself you can't do it. Ugh. So we got to change that. Right. So, like, I never allow that phrase to be said.
1: Man, I'm going to have never rip that. that off. because my gonna thing steal is steal that from you. Well, you
0: go right, because my thing is, no, we're going to work to see how good you can get at it. Period. Yeah. We're going to work yeah. to improve it, but don't ever say I can't do it because then you simply can't because yeah. mentally you're already shut off to it. I love that. So where can people find you? You you said YouTube channel
1: and yeah. Yeah. If you go to youtube.com slash the psych show that'll get you to my YouTube channel. Um, I talk about all sorts of things, psychology, mental health. So check that out. And then on social media, I'm at Ali a L I M A T T U. That'll get you to, uh, all the stuff I talk about.
2: Well, and I know you've been interviewed on, uh, couple, you know, big shows, right, on Netflix and on
1: HBO. Yeah. 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 I've got, I've got a few, a uh, few little side hustles there. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did, um, I did a short series with HBO called Dr. Commentaries where it's kind of like, it was me reacting to some of their, some of their big shows showing the mental health themes there. Oh. That was a lot of fun. And then I, what else have I done? If, if people want to learn more about anxiety, actually um, go to Netflix and watch the mind explained um, the anxiety oh. episode. I'm in that one that's like a 25 minute everything you need to know about treating anxiety. It's all right there. Um, really proud of, of the work we did on that one. So I would say those are, those are actually two good things for if you're interested in learning more about my kind of stuff, Dr. Commentaries, HBO, it's all on YouTube. You can easily check that out. And then on Netflix, Mind Explained Anxiety, you got it. That'll get you everything you need to know.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks again, brother. And we'll be chatting soon. And to all the listeners out there, thanks for joining us. And until next episode, be good to each other.